When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there guys, what is going on? Daniel Childs back here again. Morning Blues, we, ha we have reached another Friday. This is the, I believe this is the third episode of Morning Blues already. So already three weeks into the new year. And although Chelsea do not have a game this weekend, we do have some stuff to speak about in today's show. We're going to be speaking about Chelsea's another massive departure in Chelsea's staff, backroom staff, the medical staff that is, and, and what that means for the future of that department, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Does it just speak to the Chelsea chaos? We're going to speak about Victor Rossiman, kind of the most unsubtle campaign to try and get him to sign for Chelsea this year. We're going to look at the FFP situation, Armando Breuer. And then Simon Johnson did do a piece in The Athletic about the player sales from Chelsea over the past year, um, mainly last summer, and how they fared since. So I wanted to look at some of those players and then maybe you could give me your thoughts on on some of those players. If Because, I, I mean, I'm probably not the only one here that's probably of the belief that we don't kind of regret any of those sales i mean really i very few when you actually look at that list but we'll, we'll go through it i want to say morning here to uh krishna who was a, a viewer last week and commented a lot morning to the uk folks though it's a late night here thank you so much for tuning in wherever you're watching if it is a late night and it's uh i have to say at this time of the year in the uk it feels like night even when you wake up at like seven because it's still absolutely dark here and it's been absolutely freezing in the uk this week i mean i just i want spring now that's i just want spring also before i forget sorry because i know some people have a go at me for not getting going quick enough on these shows thank you so much for thirty-four thousand subs on youtube we passed that landmark yesterday so i want to say so much uh so many thanks really for those of you who watch the content who share the content who engage who you know, give me ideas, give me feedback, the interactions I have with people and many people who've guested on the show over the years. Uh, this summer is going to be the 10 year anniversary of me starting this YouTube channel. So hopefully we'll be doing something special for that. But I just want to say enough, uh, uh, another massive thank you for 34,000 subs because it, uh, it really means a lot. And hopefully the, the aim for this year is 60k which i know is very ambitious but we want to be ambitious here we don't want to be mid-table like chelsea are currently so we're, we're going for 60k and hopefully we can reach that but listen that doesn't mean we don't appreciate uh 34k which is still i think a, a great landmark to hit as we start 2024 so where are we going to start here let's have a look at this um which is chelsea in further shake-up as medical chief leaves over family reasons uh, i'm sure many of you saw this story um chelsea's one of chelsea's big kind of chief medical directors uh dimitrios calagonis um is to leave the club for family reasons which will prompt another department reshuffle matt law of course reporting this uh, he informed the medical department of his decision on Thursday afternoon and will leave Chelsea imminently with the club's best wishes. I think that 
sure, this is another, this is someone who's been at Chelsea for a very long time. And I think that there is one way you take this that, well, it's just, again, Chelsea, chaos and uncertainty and more people who've been at the club for a long period of time leaving. So then does this mean just more chaos? And listen, I absolutely get that point of view. And and I think that the first realistic point I'm going to make here is, yes, is this a sign of trying to improve what is such a problematic area of the club and has been a problematic area of the club over the past year? I mean, not just over the past year. I think that's a little bit disingenuous. It has been a, a big problem for several years now, players going down injured. But I think, especially over the past 12 months, it's it's kind of been supercharged to an even more ridiculous uh, level, in my opinion. I mean, the number of injuries we've had, the number of setbacks we've had, especially players seemingly being on the way to recovery and then going down injured again, and then we don't have them. And I was having a conversation with uh, Oli Glanville last night please do go follow uh, Ollie. Hopefully I have him on the show at some point that we can't do anything as a club. If we have this injury problem, like you, you can't coaches can't build sustainability. Players can't build chemistry, all of that stuff. It's, it's unrealistic. So this needs to be resolved. Now, is this just a, a way this happens? That's um, a freakish event where someone leaves, but there is absolutely, I think a, a, severe questions to be asked of the medical department and just the way that system has been working for a while now of why Chelsea for some reason seem to have so many injury problems on such a consistent basis so I would like to think this leads to some improvement but what I would say for a bit of caution is yes sure Chelsea could potentially get someone in who helps to resolve that situation but do you trust the current power brokers the current decision makers at Chelsea to make the right decision because as another point I made to Oli last night is that Chelsea's new ownership could make things better or they could make things significantly worse and unfortunately since they've taken over I think in a lot of aspects it's been the latter not the former which is a bit of a shame and and I think you know that's just being realistic right I, I don't I don't think I'm being unfair there let's look at the striker situation. This is a tweet from CFC Daily regarding sort of a poll for Victor Osserman, Gukarayash, who of course plays for Sporting Lisbon. He's He's been another one that's been linked. But really, I, I do want to talk about Victor Osman, uh, this kind of very unsubtle PR campaign that Chelsea are trying to wield at the moment. Didier Drogba was hugging Victor Osserman at AFCON, I believe it was last night or the day before. It was, it was as I say, not, not that uh, subtle regarding it I just want to see the poll now I'm not going to go for either of these I'm going to go for other so I just want to see 60% in this poll say Victor Osserman should be Chelsea's new striker not that surprising and uh, Gokaraj who has of course been uh, linked to Chelsea in recent days apparently Chelsea rubbished those links very very quickly and I I tweeted this last night and I don't know if you agree I'm very, very meh about Osman. And this is not to do with Osman as a player. This is this has got nothing to do with his misses at AFCON so far. Like that's not that's not my reservation. Like strikers miss chances. Erling Haaland has missed some big chances for Manchester City. Every single striker in world football, no matter how prolific they are, are gonna miss chances. So I think the the way Twitter especially, or X as we call it now, make so, such a big deal out of strikers missing chances and I know the joke that like 
we start being linked to these strikers. They start missing chances. I, my belief with these strikers is I just don't, I personally, I just don't see how it radically changes Chelsea. And I think, again, it goes back to that very fundamental issue at Chelsea of our strategy, how we sign players, what is the strategy to get the best out of those players. And I'm just not personally of the belief that there is some magic player out there unless you are going to sign Kylian Mbappe or Lionel Messi. But even with those two players, there was a club who had those two players and Neymar at the same time and still had some problems. There are fundamental issues at Chelsea. And I just, I think I've seen this story play out so many times where we get lured by this kind of superstar figure and think he is going to be the savior. He's going to be the Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One that makes all the difference. We're talking about a striker who's excelled in Serie A, who looks like the obvious option to upgrade our attack to another level. We were here before with Romelu Lukaku in 2021. Now, I know a lot of people like to rewrite history and they like to talk about how Lukaku is never that good of a striker. In 2021, his stock was rightly very, very high and his numbers, having experienced in the Premier League before, were highly impressive. Again, we've been here before. That didn't work out for its own reasons. And I think Krishna makes a great point here. Osman is a brilliant player, but he still has areas of his game, his game he needs to develop. It's something that I'm not sure our fans will be happy with. And that's absolutely true. I mean, you look at what, Look at the way um, Nicholas Jackson's being treated right now, and he would—he did not and would not have the hype of the signing of Victor Osman because Osman would cost, I mean, a hundred million more maybe than what we paid for Nicholas Jackson. Nicholas Jackson, I always say, it, I think has been a, a decent addition to the Chelsea squad based off his value, based on what Chelsea paid for him. I think he's actually proven to be a good signing that can get better. Now, that doesn't mean that he's the greatest striker in the world. For me, my valuation and my analysis of Nicholas Jackson is based on what was my initial expectation, based on what you should probably expect of a player who doesn't have tons and tons of experience in European football and the pressure of having to lead the line at Chelsea. That's why... I'm more positive about Nicholas Jackson and his all-round game and, and his numbers, seven goals so far this season, than I would be. But Victor Osserman, it's another level. People have been acting like Victor Osserman is this saviour. This guy's going to come in from down from the heavens to Stamford Bridge, score 40 goals, and Chelsea going to do absolute wonders. I, as I say, I, I don't know how, if you've been around the Chelsea scene and know Chelsea history, the, last, the Chelsea history for like two years, you aren't you're still being fooled by this. That it's, it's like that meme that I've seen recently of, uh, it's a scene from Family Guy of uh, Stewie and it's uh, someone, he's with a bunch of other young young babies, I think it is. And it was like, sort of like throwing the keys or, or jingling the keys in, in front of, of all these babies and they're getting excited. And the joke is like, I've completely forgotten what I was angry about. And... The, the joke is that Todd Bowley's the guy with the keys and the babies are all the Chelsea fans getting distracted. And I think that absolutely sums up 
a lot of this regarding transfers with Chelsea fans. And I'm kind of just off that train at this point because I've seen so many failures, high profile failures, that the reason I think some of these players won't work is because, as I say, there is, when you have fundamental issues like a lack of culture within the club, the disparity it feels like between what Chelsea have been paying for players and what they actually get on the pitch. And do we actually have have a, a set confidence that Victor Osserman will walk into this Chelsea environment and thrive? Is the environment the most healthiest for players, whatever they are, wherever they are in their career, to thrive? And I think that's a, a question that can't get a, a clarified answer. I don't think many Chelsea fans, even if they are excited about players like Osserman, can make a solid answer over it. And it's why I'm majorly sceptical about making that signing until I see further evidence that Chelsea have a set plan behind the scenes. There's a real sense of uh, communication and chemistry between the club. And actually, the foundations of the current first team are moving in a positive direction. Like if It's why probably the deal would happen in the summer. Now, if we're sat here in the summer and Chelsea have got European football, we've had a really decent second half of the season. And I said this in last week's show, that Pochettino has has proven that he can get this team to look a lot more progressive. Then I think maybe we have a slightly different conversation because then maybe you could go, like with Arsenal, right, or Liverpool, or even Man City. I think those clubs, I I made this point with Jay uh, McIntosh, please go and listen to our recent pod, that... Those clubs, it wasn't the case that you had, sure, they bought some absolutely outstanding players, like in the case of Liverpool, Alisson, Van Dijk, Mo Salah, that took them up another level. But the foundations of those teams, and it's the same with Man City when they bought Edison, arguably, of course, when they bought Erling Haaland recently, and Arsenal, when they, not this past summer, the summer before, when they brought uh, Gabriel Jesus and they brought Zinchenko, that the foundations of Arteta's squad was kind of pretty decent and I I think that that for me is 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 the most important thing and you know that's the thing uh certified here uh once Jackson develops his output he's going to be a worldie I I agree I think his all-round game is just really really promising I don't know how people are just ignoring that because we've had other strikers who have had endless patience at Chelsea but haven't had anywhere near the technical ability and the level of, I say, team building and and connection with players around him and build up and creativity that Jackson has offered. I mean, again, you have to to just ignore those things to make your argument that Jackson is absolutely um, worthless and kind of not worth anything for Chelsea because I just, I completely disagree. The next thing is we're going to, we're going to look at some FFP stories. Of course, this week was quite big. I was slightly worried that Chelsea, we were going to get there on Monday morning and Chelsea were going to look at uh, another charge and any slight issue or kind of, um, or sorry, slight positive over beating Fulham would have been completely overshadowed by Chelsea getting a 10-point deduction and us worrying about relegation again. Luckily, that didn't happen. Chelsea fell within line with FFP regulations and instead it was Everton again. It was Nottingham Forest. And I've seen a lot of discourse around this and people getting outraged. Why haven't Chelsea? Mainly they are talking about why Man City, but people seem seemingly can't distinguish the idea. And The Athletic did a great breakdown of this, that why the Man City case is so radically different to the Everton and Nottingham Forest cases in FFP. I suggest go and listen to that. I believe it's on the Athletic YouTube channel. It's like a 20-minute segment 
David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton are all on there. They kind of break it down. And there is just a reality that with this, it's a it's a counting up exercise. It's a numbers exercise. Whilst with the case of Man City, it's allegations of basically lying. And that's a much more serious thing that you have to prove over a period of time. And it's as well, what is it, 119 charges? It, of course, it's going to take longer. It's a very different case. With Chelsea, we've got away with it for this year, but there still needs to be, of course, a, I think, a, a realisation that we're not out the woods yet. And there needs to be a realisation that Chelsea have put themselves in a situation where they are going to have to make this up in the next bracket or the next period of accounting so they don't fall foul and potentially reach a 10-point deduction in, say, a year, a year or two. And some of that, unfortunately, the reality is selling academy graduates. Like, you know that I don't, I'm not of this belief that it's a great strategy, but it's an effective strategy. And if we're not going to sell... If we're not going to sell Conor Gallagher this month, which I think is is obviously the right decision. And I saw a tweet again saying that it's logical. I can't remember who reported it. I saw it on Simon Phillips. You've probably seen it as well. I Simon Phillips tweeted that people, and as I, I say, I don't think he was reporting it, but apparently some people at Chelsea think it's a logical decision to sell Conor Gallagher this month. And I said, it's logical to just let those people go. And I've said this before. I, I have no hesitancy saying that but as you can see on screen we're going to be talking about Armando Breuer Chelsea willing to sell striker for 50 million with Fulham and Wolves interested in Albanian now firstly on the price tag yes it is ridiculous but then also what I would throw back to you is that number one Chelsea apparently are looking to sign a 60 million 16 year old who Chelsea can not actually use right now that's farcical and the market itself is broken. So I don't know why Chelsea would look at this situation and feel, well, listen, yeah, we always have to overpay. They look at the price of players. They look at the broken market that sees Kai Havertz go for 65 million, but Nicholas Jackson go for like, I don't know, under 40 million. And I'm sorry, if you look at the goal output of those two players this season, you try and tell me who the 65 million pound player is. And the conversation people don't want to have, but it's it's the truth, right? It's 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 a reality of how this market doesn't make a lot of sense. And it feels like, in my opinion, a lot of players are stuck in a bracket of prices, not based on what they actually do. Like, to me, it's absolutely farcical that we could still be in a situation where like Joao Felix is still going to leave permanently from Atletico Madrid for like 60 million, when actually there's no justification for that price tag other than the fact that Atletico stupidly overpaid for him in the first place and now we're trying to get some value back when actually if we talk about the player's actual output Joao Felix should not even be close to that price tag if you actually look if you're actually being serious about what he offers to a team that's just the reality Chelsea have helped to break the market the market is broken whether they get 50 million this month I think is unrealistic but as we saw with Kai Havertz they started with about 70 million and eventually got 65 million from Arsenal which still was a ridiculously good fee based on Kai Havertz output and I think it's the same with Armando Breuer if they're starting at 50 but they can get it down to like if they can someone goes meet, meet me halfway basically like 45 million I think that's a good deal. Now, I predicted in my 2024 big predictions video that I think Breuer will leave Chelsea this year. And I thought mainly it would be a an after effect of Chelsea signing a new striker like Victor Osserman, who we, who we were just speaking about. So I'm not entirely shocked by this. 
I have to say, I think mainly with Breuer, it's a case, and we, we have been here before in recent years, like under Tuchel, I thought I could see him leaving after that loan with Southampton. I did think the interest would be there. Since then, Breuer, since reco recovering from that injury, you've got to remember as well, we bought Nicholas Jackson, another young striker who needed minutes. So for him, kind of that pathway as the young raw striker who was going to get minutes has slightly been altered and impacted by Nicholas Jackson. Even though I've just praised Nicholas Jackson, it has impacted the minutes, the potential minutes of Armando Breuer. Now, I personally am of the belief that if Chelsea are not going to sign anyone this month, which I think is probably unlikely at this point, Benzema's wages, we spoke about Benzema, I think profile-wise, player-wise, talent-wise, yeah, sure. But like from his wage level and what Chelsea, FFP-wise, and then also what Chelsea's wage structure is looking like, the type of players they're signing, they, they don't, this new ownership clearly doesn't want to go beyond a certain level of wages for a lot of players. So I, I can't see that happening, especially just for a six-month loan. It, it feels way out of Chelsea's uh, remit and their structure. I think the Abramovich model would have done it. I don't think this one does. So really, I, I think it just makes sense to keep Armando Breuer for the rest of the season. Nkunku's injuries are... Nkunku's injuries are really, really concerning in terms of, for me, I know there was some positive talk about him maybe being back in training. He wasn't pictured in training yesterday and it's one that could potentially go on and on. And, you know, do we have faith with our current injury situation or our current attackers that are fit are going to remain fit? So I think having Breuer as an option, I still think until the summer makes more sense than letting him go this month. So then, I think you give yourself a potential win-win situation. If Breuer then develops faster, has some opportunities, makes himself even first choice, scores some goals, he boosts his value in the market, but then also you've kept an option that you can keep playing to boost your squad. Or Breuer is so good that you actually realise, oh, maybe we shouldn't sell him. But as I say, the FFP situation means that Chelsea are going to have to sell some players in the summer. Uh, and that's just unfortunately the reality. And I think Breuer will fall victim to that and I think for his own career I think it makes sense that he would move on that's just my my personal opinion um and, and I do I do agree with you that uh Christian here I agree with you that it is unfair to Breuer he hasn't really had the chance to get his feet under him I agree he's he's he was he got that Achilles injury I think it was 13 months ago now it basically ruled him out for the rest of last season he didn't really recover properly or start playing properly till autumn of this season. And then we get to a point with him where now people have already assumed that he's had enough opportunities. I always find it hilarious how it seems like with academy graduates who, when you actually look at it, look at it actually haven't had that many opportunities in a first team compared to others, are always given too many opportunities and we can always make a very clear distinction on their talent. But when it comes to a 50 million plus signing who gets opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, do not produce. We're still told we have to be patient with them. This is just this logic just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And you have to explain that disparity. If you are willing to give 50 million plus signings, like I have sympathy for Mikhailo Mudrik, right? But if you're someone that gives endless patience to Mikhailo Mudrik and not to say Armando Breuer, what is the substantial difference between those two players? I don't think there is in terms of like what they could develop into, what their flaws are. 
And Armando Breuer, I think, is actually further along in his development than Mikhailo Mudrik. So to me, I just it's that hypocrisy that just frustrates me on a consistent basis. It really does regarding that that disparity. There is a reality too, just to throw FFP into this as well. Um, Ian Matson. So Ian Matson's going on loan to Borussia Dortmund. He's gone on loan now. He's playing for them, and apparently there's like a 35 million release clause. Matt Law was speaking about this on the London is Blue pod. I suggest go and listen to that because he gives a lot of breakdown on a lot of Chelsea issues as usual. And apparently it's a 2 million fee for this loan to Dortmund. So they're confident with Matson, and I'm confident that Matson will prove himself worthy at Dortmund to trigger that release clause. So then Chelsea have made about 37 million in that release clause and um, in profit, pure profit from an academy talent. Again, I think in terms of squad building, I don't think it's the smartest move you could make because as I said on my breakdown show yesterday, Chelsea now have to go out in the market and probably sign another left back when they had Lewis Hall and Ian Matson on their books and both have left. Um, and I think it, it's, a, it's a point I will make again. Chelsea having to sell academy products is... I, I hate framing it like that because they don't have to. But they've put themselves in a situation. Don't let anyone try and swindle you that this is some kind of Chelsea, this victim complex that comes on Chelsea that I've seen happen. I saw it happen on the previous ownership as well. And people um, trying to justify it, kind of the spin that would, you know, come out regarding Chelsea is that, you know, when we, for instance, the contract situation where we would allow Rudiger and Christensen's contract to to run down over and over again and then we have to we have to sell him for free or we have to sell this player we have to sell that player no you've created the situation like don't pin this on anyone else Chelsea did not have to go out and spend a billion on this squad they didn't no one put a gun to their head and said he <laughs> said you have to spend a billion and then you have to sell your academy graduates after and that's that's the that's the only way you solve this problem we didn't have to go out and sign a bunch of players that we can't use for two or three years we didn't have to go out and sign a bunch of players who probably aren't ready for premier league football right now we didn't have to spend 80 million on Mikhailo Mudrik who quite clearly is not ready to play this level of football right now now again that's not trying to rubbish Mikhailo Mudrik he could turn out to be a wonderful player but no one can seriously tell me that he is he's not raw he's not erratic and that's 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 the issue right so that's why Chelsea have put themselves in this situation I saw someone um here ask uh, Leslie asking for me to talk about Jose Mourinho and you know in some ways I can understand why people want to want me to talk about uh Jose Mourinho and I think that it's it's a tough situation. It's a tough situation. I was asked this on another show. When was it? Wednesday night, I think it was. Let me just take some some caffeine before I start talking about Mourinho to wrap up the show. Let me know what, what is your coffee of your choice. I know we have some people who are watching very late at night, so I, I, I don't advise coffee if you want to get to sleep. But if you're listening in or watching in the UK, what is your coffee of choice? I'm not a fan of Mourinho 3.0. Um really in any in any way any tangible way um i think that Mourinho, uh, the, the best evidence i could give you is that let's let's also just before you know because i don't want to ignore these these relevant facts and they are facts about what he did at roma he i think the way he developed one of my favorite players tammy abraham was exciting was brilliant it was wonderful to see you know Mourinho, one of great one of Mourinho's great strengths is his ability to work with strikers like he's consistently had that throughout his career if we look back at his work with not only from Didier Drogba but you look at the way he brought Diego Costa 
into the first team with Fabregas. I mean, he has had a consistent hit rate of strikers. Like that's just always, other than that first season when he was back at Chelsea, uh, when we had Torres, Eto, Denver Bar. I mean, he was work. It was slim pickings that season, to be honest. But once he got a proper striker in, we were cooking um, brilliantly that season with Costa. So he did it again with Tammy Abraham. He's had Lukaku this season. He's got Lukaku scoring at least to a more decent rate. And of course, winning the Conference League was an historic moment for Roma. Absolutely. It made him beloved with that club forever. And he got them to a penalty shootout within winning the Europa League last year. All of that being said, if you look at the table when he was sacked, he's not, you know, he's ninth, I think he was when he was sacked. Chelsea... I think need to move on from Mourinho and I I'll say this and I think I'll probably make more shows about this I just am not of the belief that looking back to the past is what's going to make Chelsea any greater and I think that Mourinho if you look at this squad currently what is Mourinho's biggest flaw what is a thing that people accuse him of doing on a consistent basis and it's with young players Chelsea as I say if Chelsea had bought over the past 12 to 18 months a squad that was like 25 and over. I think the justification for Mourinho becomes a little bit stronger. But as I would say, when you look at his performance level at Roma um, and sorry, at Tottenham, I think is more relevant actually because they had an aging squad when he took over from Pochettino. I think that just gives you enough evidence, especially in the Premier League, that from a tactical point of view, from a a cultural point of view from the way he's able to deal with the game now and players is a lot more different. It's not to say that I know the score responded to me on, on Twitter and said, you know, he, he has evolved in some ways, but in some ways he hasn't. And I don't see how Mourinho coming back. If, if all you're kind of, if all you want, you just want to feel something right with Jose coming back for 3.0. And in some ways I understand that, but I don't think if we have a serious conversation about, Pochettino, if we have a serious conversation about the club, if we have a serious conversation about where Chelsea need to get back to, it's not 2005 anymore. Mourinho would not be walking into a situation where he instantly has in front of him like a buffet of amazing world-class players that he can just start to recalibrate and, you know, flip that switch and we start playing amazing football. We don't have that. And if your current criticism of Chelsea is we have a team that isn't ready to play that level of football why bring in a coach who probably isn't ready or isn't suited historically and just the evidence is in front of us that he wouldn't get the best out of those group of players so I just I I'm not the biggest fan of nostalgia in the sense of looking to the future Mourinho let me make this abundantly clear Mourinho is the greatest Chelsea head coach of all time and it's going to take so much for anyone to rival him in terms of what he did for Chelsea his legacy, I still think, is underrated because everyone talks about Abramovich's wealth, mainly outside of Chelsea. But the fact that Mourinho's imprint on that squad was clear all the way up to the 2012 final in Munich says so much about how Mourinho changed the psychology of Chelsea Football Club. He absolutely did. That psychology is still there right now. So it's not me disrespecting Mourinho's legacy. It's not me. You know, I grew up with Mourinho as, as Chelsea head coach and me very much him being my favorite manager and him being my coach and for a period of time he was the best in the world he's no longer that and I think it's just right to face reality and it's right to look at the way the game's evolved in certain ways and the way that Chelsea need to move forward 
And we've got some comments here uh, regarding Jose Mourinho, so I'll just go through some of them now. Uh, Certified says, I respect Jose as a manager and I think he achieved a lot, but for what we are as Chelsea right now, I don't think he's a good fit for us. Krishna says, uh, agree, you can have to join appreciation for the great times without always wanting those people from the past to be here now. Phil says, I agree with you, Daniel. Mourinho has done well for us a lot and respect to him, but he isn't what we need right now. We have young players and there is a chance the players will burn out. And another point here, Krishna, also Jose didn't love dealing with injured players. Not sure how he would gel with this team. I One of the funniest moments of the um, All or Nothing Tottenham series was him kind of just absolutely staring a hole through. I think it was their head of um, medical because he had a lot of injured players during that season for All or Nothing. Some of the stares he used to give the, the medical team when they'd approach him and say Son's injured for like a couple of weeks. I mean, it was just comical stuff, like absolutely wonderful. So again, these are not exactly... I, people, the positives of Mourinho, and I, I know people go, well, wherever he goes, he wins trophies. But, it, you know, it was the Conference League. And, you know, if you're going to dismiss the Conference League, if Chelsea won it next season, then, you know, you have to kind of deal with that double standard. But then also from a league point of view, in the Premier League, I, I, again, I just think look back to where he was at Spurs because the narrative, ironically, where we are with Chelsea right now was he needs to take over Pochettino because he's the guy that's going to take Spurs to the level of actually winning something. And I know he was sacked before a, a cup final, but again, a little bit of revisionism, that Tottenham team was going absolutely nowhere under him. They were regressing. They had seriously regressed from Pochettino. Even though Pochettino was struggling with Spurs, they did not go anywhere with him, seriously. And to be honest, even though Conte came in and gave them a little bit of a boost after Nuno, I think Conte fell foul of similar things in the end. So I just I I, I come to the conclusion that we can watch the 0405, the, the best season in Chelsea history. Actually, next year is going to be the 20-year anniversary of that season. That's a long time ago. You can appreciate those moments. And sure, maybe there could be an environment. I don't know Jack Pitbrook was saying that maybe Clear Lake and but I, I could see people within Chelsea for the superstar, for the narrative, for the headlines of Mourinho coming back and the dopamine here would give a certain segment of fans to see Jose return for a third time and it's no longer Abramovich. Maybe there's some logic that, oh, it won't go <laughs> a certain way. But Mourinho's career is pretty clear right now. And I think for him... Just go into international football. I would have him in a heartbeat over Southgate tomorrow. I'm being serious. And it's the same with Thomas Tuchel. I think those two coaches would be extraordinary at international football because I think for short-term bursts, for what international football is, for tournament football, where it is a lot more about being reactive, of setting up a world structure, I don't... I, I think they would be wonderful. But in terms of Mourinho for club football, especially at a top Premier League club, one that wants to get back to the top and wants to compete with the most progressive teams in this country, I don't see Mourinho personally as the option. Let's go through some of the final comments here. Uh, Krishna says, it's argued that Pochettino's struggles were a lack of refresh of that Spurs squad, which both Jose and Conte had issues with. Yeah, absolutely. It was not just um, Jose's own problems. It was, of course, Spurs being Spurs, which is funny. Uh, and puzzled life here. This is where we're going to end. Never invite your ex to a date you're on, but isn't going well. A absolutely, mate. Absolutely. All, uh, it's so true. So true. So that is going to be it for today's Morning Blues. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do follow me across the socials at Son of Chelsea. Subscribe. Turn those notifications on if you're listening back on the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great Friday. Have a great evening, wherever you're watching this. And I'll be back again very soon. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.